Let's stand together for the reading of God's word, his authoritative word. Pete preached on verses 5 to 7 that deal with those things that, those qualities, those godly qualities that uh, Peter says we are to add to our faith. And then we pick it up in verse 8. Hear God's word to you this morning. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think of one of my main preaching mentors in the faith, Dick Lucas. He's a guy, he's a brother from England who's 96 years old right now. But he said that, that he'll just get done, excuse me, he'll just get done pre preaching a ripping sermon on the gospel. And then someone on the way out, as they're shaking hands, someone will say to him, Yes, I, thank you so much for that message. Um, it's so true that God helps those who help themselves. And so Dick Lucas does one of these things. And what he actually says is, if I ever preach that, I'm a Dutchman. <laughs> and he's not. He's, he's pure English, British. My brothers and sisters, faith is a gift from God. It's a free gift from God. It's not something we can manufacture on our own. It's not something we can muster up from within. It's not a quality, listen, that's more naturally inherent than some than in others. Like, oh, you just, you know, you're prone to faith. No, the Bible teaches us it's a gift of God's unearned, unmerited favor. That's what the word grace means. Charis in the Greek. Now, the Apostle Peter already fully affirmed this in chapter 1, verse 1, in the greeting that he wrote when he wrote this. To those through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who have received a faith as precious as ours. You notice that? You received it. It was a gift. Paul's missionary companion, Dr. Luke. I don't know if you knew that. Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel, was a doctor, a physician. And he, followed, he was one of Paul's co-workers um, during the time of the early church. Well, Luke uh, wrote this down in Acts 18.27. This is what he wrote about uh, Apollos, who was a, a great minister of the gospel in those days. He says this. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. Now here's the verse I want you to pay attention to. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. See, this is the issue. Why are you here this morning? Why aren't you out there doing all the foolish things you used to do? Why aren't you out there living in ignorance? Why are you here meeting uh, with God's people to hear God's authoritative word? It's because God, by His grace, 
opened your eyes, opened your heart, and gave you the gift of faith. Can I get a hallelujah? He's the one who makes the distinction among people. So the question that Peter is going to be dealing with here is how then shall we live? Having received such a great precious gift. That's what he calls it. A precious faith. Put it another way, now that we believe, what qualities should we enthusiastically strive to add to our faith? Peter outlined them for us in, in verses 5 to 7. I just want to mention them. Goodness. Yeah, I think we could use some of that. Amen. Knowledge. That's the whole, at the end of 2 Peter, what does he say? Therefore, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Self-control. Perseverance. Godliness. Brotherly kindness. We need that in the church. And then above all, Agape love. These are the things we should be focused on. We should be adding to our faith enthusiastically. Now Pete preached an awesome, outstanding message expounding on these uh, qualities uh, that are found in verses 5 to 7 last Sunday. So I don't need to go over that list in any great detail. But I do want to point out an interesting fact, and that's this. Most of the qualities mentioned in verses 5 to 7, you may um, notice this are mentioned in Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. I mention that here this morning, simply to bring your attention to the spiritual truth that is crucial for believers to keep in mind. And that's this. If you are a Christian, I would say all of us here profess to be Christians, then the Bible teaches that you have the Holy Spirit within you, living inside you. And the truth is, the Holy Spirit will produce these wonderful fruits of godliness in your life. But here's the point, that yet that doesn't exempt us from having to make an effort to pursue these very things, to cultivate these things that the Spirit is producing in our lives. Very important. Now, in my introduction to, first, uh, to 2 Peter, I spent a good amount of time on this point, but I just want to take just a few more moments to re reiterate it before hitting the ground running, looking at verses 8 to 11. Now, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus here this morning, one who has been called and elected by God, the Apostle Peter says, listen to this, that you participate in God's nature through the great and precious promises he has given you in Scripture. Now, we didn't deal with that very uh, deeply or, or too long when we preached in our previous sermons, but I want you to just get, wrap your head around this a little bit. You participate in God's nature. Now, to unpack that, it's very mysterious, it's very deep, but that means God shares his being with you, his likeness, his holiness, his character. That's a powerful point. So what he's saying is you have been made alive in Jesus so that you participate in God's holy nature. Now here's the cool thing. You don't have to try to figure out where to get these wonderful qualities mentioned in verses 5 to 7. You don't have to find out how to acquire them into your life. 
How do they come? He told us how they come. They come through meditation on, trusting in, clinging to, and applying to your life all the great and precious promises of the Word of God. So in other words, how do I get those qualities? I steep myself in Scripture, in the law, the prophets, and the apostles. Now, that's the very next pericope. That's what, Paul's, what Peter's going to be dealing with. He's going to tell us to pay attention to the light of the prophets and the apostles. Because that's the truth. The false teachers were coming all other kinds of bogus info in the name of gnosis, knowledge. Oh, but you don't have the secret knowledge. You need to go and find the secret thing out. See, I can't move on to verses 8 to 11 without making it as clear as I can this morning. Because if you take these words seriously at, at, at all, and I hope you do with all your heart this morning, you're going to find yourself asking the million-dollar question because all those great things in verses 5 to 7 are wonderful things, but you have to ask the million-dollar questions. Where do I go to find these things? How do I get the power, are you with me, to add them to my faith? That's the question. Let's get practical. You want a practical sermon? How do I add this? Thanks. Right, Pete? Add goodness. Add self-control. I mean, that's the very things we struggle with. Hello? I know you got a sinful nature because I got one. And I know every morning it dogs me. And I can't just ignore it and let it go its way. But thankfully, listen brothers and sisters, this is what really jazzed me up as I was studying for this. Thankfully, Peter is a genuine messenger of the true gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's a gospel preacher. In other words, he couches his exhortation in the great truths of the good news of Jesus Christ, which can give us new life. Remember here, let me put it this way, in case you're not getting this. Remember, this is the basis of the law way of salvation. Listen to me. Do this, and you will live. That's a death sentence. Because you know you can't, and I know I can't. But the gospel says, you live. God has resurrected you spiritually. Now do this. There is an eternity of difference. There's a world of difference between those two ways. Bishop Horn once put it this way. To preach practical sermons, as they are called, that is, sermons upon virtues and vices, without imparting those great scripture truths of redemption, of grace, etc., which can alone excite, incite excuse me, and enable us to forsake sin and follow after righteousness, what is this but to put together the wheels and set the hand of a watch, forgetting the spring, which is to make them all go? In other words, the gospel is the spring that makes the wheel move. The gospel is the engine that gives us the power as we participate through faith in Christ with the, his very nature. We have the spring. We have the engine. Without all those beautiful truths, without the gospel, you ain't got the power. It's all window shopping. You know what I'm saying? Man, that's a nice looking guitar. Well, I can't have it. When my niece was real small, you still might not be getting this, so I got a little illustration. 
Unfortunately, when, when my niece was small, I wasn't around much because I lived in a, a few states away, and we'd only see each other once in a blue moon. So if she was real little, and we would come visit, and my, her mom would say, go give Uncle Santo a hug. And you know what she would say? Listen, I can't do it. It was so, just like that. I can't do it. And I, to this day, tease her. I said, you, it's not that you can't do it. You won't do it. Brothers and sisters, God is calling your bluff. Don't say you can't. If you're a Christian, you can't say, I can't do it. When you look at verses 5 to 7. You got the power. If you're a Christian. If you've received the gospel. If you're a new creation in Christ, then these qualities are yours for the taking. Peter is saying, go out and get them. Now why? What will be the benefits of you getting these things and adding these things to your faith? And Peter says, I'm glad you asked. In verses 8 to 11, we're going to spend the rest of our time on that, the rest of our time this morning. And here are the practical implications of adding or not adding these things to your faith. Three things. Pay attention. You're taking notes. First, we're going to see the positive benefits of adding these qualities to your faith. Secondly, we'll see the negative consequences of not adding them. And then last of all, we're going to see the call to make our calling and our election sure. That's certain. Okay, let's take a look at the first one. The benefits of having these godly qualities. Look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's the Apostle Peter's desire for you and for me. And more importantly, that's the one who sent him's desire for you. Your Lord and your Savior's desire is that you would be productive in your knowledge of him, that you would bear good fruit for your king, for your Savior. You remember what Jesus said? You did not choose me, but I chose you. To what purpose? To bear fruit. But not just bear fruit. What does Jesus say? Fruit that lasts. It's not rotten the next day. You know, that's the problem with good fruit. Right? You have some fruit, and it's like, oh, man, you let it sit too long. Well, the kind of fruit that we bear... Through the Lord Jesus, that stuff goes into eternity with us. Amen? What is the fruit he's talking about? Just in short, it's the kind of luscious, luscious fruit that brings glory to God, that blesses others, and that is for the good of your own soul. Do you know that? It's for your own good? Now, I don't know about you, but... When I'm at the end of any day, literally any day, even when I'm in recreation, if I'm at the, end of, at the end of a day and I say, man, my day was unproductive, that's not a good feeling, is it? I don't like to be unproductive. I hate to say I didn't get anything done today. Even if it's a day of rest, you were refreshed, that is something you got done, right? But how horrible it is when you realize you frittered away opportunities to get stuff done. Not just stuff, but stuff for the kingdom. And Peter's telling us the not-so-secret secret, right? This is like that, that secret that's open to anybody who wants to know 
of ensuring that our knowledge of Jesus will not be useless. You want to make sure your knowledge of Jesus is not useless? Then possess these qualities in increasing measure. In other words, grow in all of those things. Godliness, self-control, knowledge, love, brotherly kindness. And then that fruit is going to be good and your knowledge is going to be productive. Because remember, James talks about the people who say they have faith, but they ain't got no works at all. That kind of faith, what does he say? Demons believe like that. And they shudder. No, we want, brothers and sisters, we want faith that produces. Right? Remember what Jesus talked about with the sower? Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. You with me, church? So that's the divine productivity insurance plan. That your, your faith, your knowledge of God is not going to be unproductive. And here's the thing. It's free. It's yours for the taking. And like that old saying is, get it while the getting's good. Second thing. That's the positive. Look at this, the negative consequences of not having them in verse 9. But if anyone doesn't have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten he has been cleansed from his past sins. So it's not just that it'll keep us from being unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus when we add these things in increasing measure, but it'll also protect us against spiritual blindness and listen to this one, spiritual amnesia. Now I've had dear family members who slowly lost their minds. And if you've ever experienced it, it's heartbreaking. You watch them deteriorate to the point where they don't even remember who you are. And it breaks your heart. I remember asking my dad toward the end, Dad, you remember who I am, right? Yeah, you're Richie. And I had to remind him, no, no, I'm not Richie. Well, there's something sadder than that, Peter's saying. Spiritual amnesia. When you've forgotten the goodness of the Lord to you, the blood of Jesus that has cleansed you from all those past awful things you've done. If we don't have these qualities, it's because we've been neglecting them, not because God hasn't graciously provided them for us. It means that we've been given we have not been given them the priority in our lives that they should have been rightly given as the people who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. In other words, look, let me put it this way. You've been cleansed from your old sins, not so you'll wallow in new ones, but that you'll live now for righteousness. That's what he's saying. Calvin puts it this way. This he also confirms by adding this reason. Because such have forgotten that through the benefit of Christ, they have been cleansed from sin. And yet, this is the beginning of our Christianity, isn't it? In other words, that's a baby lesson. 101, Christianity 101, you've been forgiven. It then follows that those who do not strive for a pure and holy life do not understand even the first rudiments of faith. I thought that was a powerful comment. He said, you don't even, you're not even on first base. If you're not striving to live for Jesus, that should be the normal overflow of your heart and life. 
that you've been cleansed. Think about it this way. One cross-reference that I have to mention. Um, it's the grace of God, the Apostle Paul says, in Jesus, that, according to Titus 2, 12, 14, that teaches us to do what? What does the grace of God teach us to do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, here's the word that Pete uses as well, self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, and I love this last line, eager to do what is good. If you're not eager to do what is good, you got to say, what is going on? Right? Right? That's a hard issue. How deeply are you taking in the gospel, believing in it, trusting in Jesus, if your heart is not moved by what your Lord did for you at Calvary? See, here's the thing. The false teachers in Peter's day were teaching a message that directly contradicted this. Look with me quick at 2 Peter 2.21. This is what Peter says about the false teachers who were harassing the believers in his day. Listen, it says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn their backs, what? On the sacred command that was passed on to them. They were doing the opposite of what we were just hearing about what Paul told us to do and what Peter told us to do. They turned their back on the sacred command. And notice, what does Peter call it? The way of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, the way of Jesus is the way of righteousness. It just makes sense because he's righteous. Excuse me. Listen, how could it be any other way than the way of righteousness when you're following Jesus? And notice what they, the, the false teachers turn their back on, the sacred command. What's the sacred command? Listen. The sacred command is simply this, trust and obey. Remember that old song? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Come follow me, Jesus said. And they left everything. And they followed him. Here it is in a nutshell. Those who remember they were cleansed for their past sins will be eager to add all the qualities mentioned in 5 and verse 7 to their faith. With those great benefits attached to adding those things to your faith, what should we conclude? And that's the last thing I want to point out this morning. The last thing we should conclude is this. The call to make sure we have them. We, in other words, this is not a secondary issue. This is something that should be of first most importance for any believer is to make sure that we are called and the elect of God. Look at verse 10. I'm not making this up. Therefore, what's the conclusion of this? Peter says, my brothers, those in Christ, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things, you'll never fall and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, since there are these great benefits that we listed, both positive and negative, of having these qualities in verses 5 to 7, 
This is what Peter's saying. Make every effort to make sure you have them. And here's what he's specifically saying. Make your calling and election firm. The Greek word means sure or certain. Now here's the thing. If you're a believer in Christ, your security is founded on the gracious calling and sovereign electing grace of God. You notice that? It's not based on any good in us or any good that we do, but it's because of God's sovereign choice. Read Romans 9. We're not going to get into it this morning, but just read Romans 8 and 9. You'll learn more about that. But here's the question. How can we firm up the fact that we are indeed among the called and the elected? That's the question. People theoretically want to know, you know, does God elect people or not? Yeah, that's, that's great to be studying it and sitting in a, a couch and, and wondering about these things. But the real practical question is, am I one of them? Am I an elect? I mean, the, the, the Bible uses the word elect all over the place. Chosen. The called. Well, I want to know, am I among the called? You know, oh, when the saints come marching in. What does it say? I want to be among that number. Well, Peter's saying, yeah, you should want to be among that number, and you should be making every effort to make sure you are. Chris Green puts it this way, without contributing anything to our salvation, the acid test of the genuineness of our faith is either that we make costly life changes on the basis of it, or we treat sin and judgment as irrelevant to a Christian. What demonstrates and secures knowledge that you're among God's chosen called children in Jesus? Let me ask you this, a life of loose living? Is that confirmed? Given into the whims of your own sinful nature? Or a life of making every effort to cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? The qualities of godliness? That's the question. And Peter's saying, when you add these things, it gives you that great certainty that yes, I'm among that number. And it also shows others. By your, their fruit, what? You will know them. And apparently these false teachers, their fruit stunk to high heaven. And what Peter's saying, I don't want you to go in that direction because I don't want you to face the same end as they're going to face. Because they think they could be immoral all they want and they're still safe. And Peter says, heck no. Two more incredible blessings, just as we close here quickly, that come from making every effort to make your calling and election certain by adding these qualities to your faith. The first one, if you do these things, you will never fall. True protection against falling away completely. And finally, from the faith. The Good News translation captures the Greek, believe it or not, really well here. Even though normally it's you know very loose. But here I love it. Because it captures... Uh, what Peter's actually saying. So then, my friends, or my brothers, try even harder to make God's call and His choice of you a permanent experience. If you do so, you will never abandon your faith. That's Paul. Peter isn't talking about you'll never trip. You'll never stumble. You'll never fall. Because hey, he knows. He had some big wipeouts like we talked about a few weeks ago. And you know, even as a Christian, I, I haven't met one of my brothers who are w- even way holier than me that hasn't had some good wipeouts. 
He's not saying you're never going to trip. But he's saying you do these things, you're never going to fall permanently. You're never going to be lost. That's what Peter's concern for his readers and for you and me is. That we'd avoid following these teachers and into their tragic fate. Now here's the second blessing, last thing. Second blessing, and I think this should pique all of our interest, it's in verse 11, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you know Peter, in Peter's second epistle is the only place where we have that title, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or it may, it's mentioned four times, and I think three times in this epistle. So we have Peter to thank for that title. Now, I thought of an illustration that might help you get your mind around this and mine as well. My kids, they, they uh, cut their teeth on the children's catechism. Yes, us Reformed people, we're catechizing our kids. And um, the children's catechism had a wonderful question, and it was this. Who then will be saved? And then I remember little Caleb, my son Caleb is not here this morning, but he would answer back, those who repent, believe, and live a new life. And I say, good boy, good boy. It was really great. Well, then they revised the stinking thing. And they made it heresy. Because they changed the question. How then can we be saved? Same answer. Believe, repent, believe, and live a new life. Eh, not up there. We cannot be saved by living a new life. Can I get an Amen. We only live a new life because we've been saved. But if you ask it the, the way, the original way, that's true. It's biblical to say the only people who are saved who repent, believe, and live a new life. Because that living a new life proves that you repented and believed. Big difference. So I got one more quote from Calvin. And this is one of my favorite all-time quotes from him because it helps make this Bible verse clear. Calvin says this. Purity of life is not improperly called the evidence and proof of election by which the faithful may not only testify to others that they are the children of God, but also confirm themselves in this confidence. Now here's the, the beauty here. In such a manner, however, that they fix their solid foundation on something else. In other words, your faith isn't in your ability to add these things. Can I get an amen? Your faith is in Christ Jesus and his finished work. So your solid foundation is always in what Jesus can do because you can never do these things perfectly. However, you add these things to your faith so you would get that certainty and that assurance, assurance that you are indeed believing. After all, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. He's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I quoted that from the first few verses of 2 Peter. It's because we've been given these things in Christ that Peter says, keep a running, keep a fighting. Keep a persevering so that there's no question at the end of the day that you're a true, blue, bonafide, called and elected child of the living God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get a witness? Let's pray.
Father, we know apart from Jesus we can do nothing. And we know our security is found in His finished work, not in our own work. And Lord, yet we also know that those who have that security have been given the Holy Spirit. And you, Holy Spirit, work your fruit in our lives. And these are the things that we are to chase after. Not sin, not idols, but these wonderful fruits that you develop in our lives. Lord, help us to add these wonderful things to the great faith that you have given freely as a gift. Lord, that we might have this security and that when we are welcomed home, we will be welcomed home richly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.